get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. It's great to be with you here on this Saturday morning. We have some great guests. We're going to be talking about the importance of a person's career in their life and what it means for liberty and maybe how to work for uh, libertarian causes yourself. We've got two great guests, Jess Mears and Hannah Cox, and we've also got Harry and Reinhold. So stay tuned right after these words. Warning. This show is for adults by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media. It is great to be back with you here on this Saturday morning, and we are so happy that you are here, live on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch, but also listening later on the Chris Spangle Show feed if you're hearing this for the first time, please make sure to subscribe. The entire We Are Libertarians podcast network and The Chris Spangle Show are brought to you by our patrons. And we want to thank all of the members of Wall Plus because you're the reason this show exists and has built into a 13-show podcast network. And uh, you guys have really helped change the direction of the network over the last few months, and we appreciate it so much. But we especially want to thank our $100 a month members, John Pusillo, Casey Feldposh, Lars Nordskog, Jakey Dell, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. Uh, let's get started with introductions here. Uh, Jess is popping in and out. And uh, Harry, how are you? I'm going good, going good. Just, you know, moving things around, getting everything all set up. And you, you look different. Yeah, I did the thing that you're not supposed to do, Reinhold, which is trim your own beard. <laughs> I've I've been very good about going to the barber, but now it's like very wispy, and I look like I run the Mises Caucus. Mm. So it's not very always, grown in. I've always trimmed my own goatee and beard and everything else every time I've had them because I was just raised that way. You you, so, you I'm gonna give you some friendly advice. You years. you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, don't. Uh, we should put uh, beauties up here and the beast down there. Uh, Jess Mears, thank you so much for for being here. Jess, I've known for, gosh, over a decade at this point. We met in Columbus, Ohio, and walked to a baseball game together at a Libertarian Party convention. I don't, you were in the Libertarian Party of Ohio. I was in Indiana at the time. I thought the first time we met was at the National Convention in St. Louis. Oh, that may be. I don't have a good memory anymore. Uh, I'm old. <laughs> and uh, Hannah Cox, thank you for joining me. It, you are one of my favorite follows on Twitter. You consistently kill it. So if you don't follow Hannah on social media, please do. Hannah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Love the show. Thank you. Um, now, I don't quite know exactly what we're going to talk about today. I have a general direction, but Jess Mears is the reason she's gotten to where she's gotten in life is because she just does. She has an idea and she does it. Unlike me, who's like, let me think about all the ways I shouldn't do this and get to it six months from now because I'm afraid. 
Jess just was like, here's a calendar invite. Hannah and I are coming on on your show and then just cuck the show. So (laughs) tell us what we're talking about today, Jess. (laughs) Hannah and I were just at the Young Americans for Liberty conference last weekend. And we talked about how we've kind of navigated in our careers. We've actually changed our career trajectories, changed our fields to work full time for the liberty movement. I thought that was something that maybe we could talk about on your show and talk about with you because that's something you've been able to do as well. Yeah, I'm I'm near. I'm dangerously close to being a full time podcaster. Um, and that and I've kind of I used to work in the Libertarian Party of Indiana. That was full time, and then have have a great job now that I I don't want to leave, but. You know, this is this is my dream job and I'm I'm close to it. So and it basically came about Hannah because of constant work, late nights, long hours. And I think people kind of think, well, somebody will see my genius and just give me a job. But that's not how it works, is it, Hannah? You know, it's not. And to add a little context to Jess and I's conversation the other weekend, we were talking about people who start trending towards socialism or people who attack capitalism. And one thing I've noticed as a common thread throughout that is that they're often people who aren't getting where they want to be in life and they feel like they're working hard or they feel like they've got the talent, they've got what it takes to do what they want to do, but nobody's coming in and picking them. And I used to feel that way. Like I I understand that um, sentiment because I definitely had that mentality at times in my life. But Jess and I were talking about how hard we both worked to move our careers over and to do what we now do. And I think oftentimes people don't see that transition period, right? They don't see all the things I've done behind the scenes, all the late nights, all the multiple jobs, all of the like really tough times that I went through, like wondering, is this going to pan out? Is this going to work out for me? Um, And I think that that's important that we talk about because it's really easy to look at somebody once they've gotten to a point and just think, well, they just got picked, right? Somebody just saw what they could do and came in and picked them and and they got to come do this. And, And that's really not the case. Yeah. Expand on that, Jess. Like how did the conversation that you guys were having get started? Well, we were talking about, like, as Hannah said, um, just the amount of work that we put into our careers to get to this point, but also the careers that we left behind. And I used to work in local government. I worked for the fastest growing communities in the world. I worked for the Villages and Lakewood Ranch in Florida. And I was a city clerk. And this is like, this is a job that I hated. I didn't like it. I knew that this job would not be around for very long because of technology and automation, but it was where I could be at the time. And I had somebody give me an opportunity. I didn't have experience as a city clerk, but someone created an opportunity for me and I took it. And I learned all about records management and Florida statutes and board management and um, record keeping. So I learned all of these really awesome skills. And what I really saw was behind the scenes of how does government operate? And as a libertarian, I think that's an essential thing that I should know, especially as I'm trying to get people elected to public office. How does a local government actually work is something that very few libertarians have that kind of industry knowledge it's, it's on. what made and me I a libertarian. Yeah. I mean, I was a local yeah. reporter and I was mm-hmm. 2007, 2008, and I was watching, you know, I knew I had been a Republican, um, but I had left the Republican Party after they kicked all the Ron Paul delegates out in 2008. And I, I wasn't going to become a Democrat, but I watched the Republicans and the Democrats like they were 
wholly and totally corrupt and the media was part of it. And I was like, well, there's got to be a better option. And so I, I found the Libertarian Party of Indiana and, and said, make me an offer. You can beat $17,000 a year, which was what I was making. And they're like, we can do 21. I was like, I'll take it. And uh, that's how my career in libertarian stuff got got started. I mean, Harry, I think it's tough. Like like you were talking about the the you know the people that are kind of moving towards socialism and that frustration that where if capitalism isn't working for me, can I find something that will work better, like a guaranteed income? You see it a lot in younger people. Um, Harry, I think that that frustration you feel when you're in your 20s, especially your early 20s, where you're just Correct. trying to get something going is really, really, really cool. Right, because you're in oh, your 20s. Sorry. A lot of the people in their 20s are settled with a lot of uh, debt from college, from either credit cards or car payments or just student loans in general. And they're just trying to live. And they were always told this lie, like, once you get this degree or you do this, you will make all this money and that's going to happen. But they they don't fail to realize to tell you, like, you need that degree to get that knowledge on that thing that you're going to be working on. But until you get some work experience, you know, you're, no one's really going to put some money behind you. And then a lot of the times you have to make that opportunity for yourselves and you have to learn to negotiate. There's been tons of times that I've taken a job that I didn't negotiate my salary correctly and I wasn't being paid peanuts, you know, from what the skills I was offering to the company. Yeah, Hannah, you're shaking. You're sorry, Harry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, you go. All right, so Hannah, you were shaking your head in that. Like, take us back to young Hannah Cox. She's just a college graduate. Uh, Where are you at in that moment in your life? And then what happened next? Yeah, and I I identify with a lot of what he just said. You know, I wanted to be in the music industry. I had no idea like how to get into it, and I found this school, Belmont University in Nashville, that is one of the top two music colleges in the country. It's right on Music Row. They offer this music business program, and you're going to intern at all these labels, and you're going to meet people, and everybody comes out with this great job in the music industry, and they all pay really well, and it's going to be amazing. You know, you just do here, you do ABC, and you're going to be successful, and so I did it. I threw myself into it. I was interning. I was running a large student organization. I was staffing major events, running red carpets, and so when I graduated, like, I felt like I'd done everything I was told I was supposed to do to be successful. And I graduated and I was one of like maybe six or seven people in my graduating class that got a full-time job in the music industry, period. Um, and I was paid $28,000. Right. And I was like, uh, this is not like how this was supposed to go. And now I have all the student loan debt and I hated my career. I hated the music industry ultimately once I got into it was just really unhappy. And I thought, I've got to get out of this, you know, and instead of kind of wallowing in that, and I think there were people who misled me, of of course, down that pathway. I think the university was misleading. I think that there were many uh, leaders around me, teachers, people who kind of pushed this narrative of like, just do this and you get here. But instead of just sitting there and being like, everybody misled me, I got screwed over in this process. This, This is capitalism's fault. I recognize I had to take some responsibility in the fact that I didn't really do my research. I hadn't actually looked at what these jobs paid. I hadn't gone and like done any work before pursuing this pathway to see if I even liked the day-to-day of this industry. And ultimately, nobody was going to come save me from these choices other than myself. I was going to have to work really hard to move into a different direction and build a life that I actually liked. And to be totally honest, that took about five years it wasn't a short, easy process. I think a lot of people see my political career and just think I went to college, graduated and ended up here. And that was not it at all. I had to do a lot of jobs on the side. I worked really long hours. I worked for pay that was beneath my value. 
I networked. Um, I did a whole lot of things to actually transition my job. And then even once I was able to move into politics full time, I kept doing that additional work to kept building more and more into the ultimate actual job that I wanted within politics, because the first job I got coming into politics was not the one I ultimately wanted forever. Um, but it was a foot in the door. And I was, again, willing to do it and willing to hustle in order to keep building and connecting and hopefully then get to a place where I was doing more of the specific type of work in politics that I wanted to do. And so I just wish um, people had more of that insight into what goes into building a career. I think oftentimes, especially when you're in a media career like I am now, you're very visible. It looks very fun. And it is. But to get there, to establish that base, to really build your platform and your voice, it takes years and a lot of work. And, and that's what people often don't see behind the scenes. It's taken me almost 20 years. <laughs> I mean, it takes <laughs> and really like you you start at a low. I started at a low, the lowest rated AM station in town. I learned a ton from Abdul. Um, and then we're getting some feedback from somebody. Uh, let's go through this. Check one, two, check. Okay. We're getting it from Hannah. So I'll, uh, unmute you, Hannah, when I go to you. But anyway, so, you know, I started a low powered AM radio station making two fifty a week. I loved it. It was a ton of fun, but it doesn't, doesn't sustain the bills. And then you go to the libertarian party and you're making a little bit there. And then you're starting a podcast, which is what this network has blossomed from, um, but you know, now I have a day job. I get up at six, I work till the middle of the afternoon and then I work on all my other side projects and I'm, I'm finished, you know, sometimes six, seven, eight. Uh, but you, you eventually the momentum builds. And, and I was talking to this guy named Jack. You may know Jack Carr from Lightbound Harry. He started the first like real serious IP in town. So a really mm-hmm. successful yes. guy. And he's like, you know, I'm looking at how we built this business and I was working on this brick, and then I worked on the next brick, and then eventually I looked back and I had a wall. And I think if you're a younger person listening to this, that's how it works. You just always have to focus on that brick because eventually if you have an idea of where you want to get to in your mind, you can get there. Um, it just – you've got to take some pain sometimes. Like, you know, Jess, there, when I was working at the radio station, it's like it's a low barrier to entry. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of these jobs that, that we do now. And, and I want to go back to Hannah. Like, what do you do now? What was your job after you left the music industry? Like, what did you transition to? What, and where are you at now? Yeah, so I took what was actually kind of an entry-level job with the Libertarian Think Tank in Tennessee, the Beacon Center. You know, I was fortunate in my pathway into politics that I had a full-time job. Did it pay enough? No, but I had full-time work. I had insurance. I was pretty comfortable in the music industry, and I had a fun job. I got to travel a lot. So I had basically gone to my boss in the music industry and told him I intended to quit. I tried to quit because I was like, I can make more money bartending than I can here. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, please stay. And he he worked out this deal with me. He gave me two years to kind of build my career into politics, but keep working there. And I could work from home when I wanted to and like kind of have this flexibility. So I had taken two years. I had, you know, anything I could find, I would do because I just didn't know where to begin. So I started working for a Second Amendment group on the side, doing like development um, organization for them, kind of trying to expand their chapters and a lot of outreach and that kind of work. Um, I then did some volunteer lobbying for the National Alliance on Mental Illness because I wanted, I thought I wanted to be a lobbyist perhaps, and I needed to get that kind of experience. I went to every event I could find. I started writing. I then launched my own blog and website for people, other young people to write at. 
I just tried everything. And ultimately, I got enough contacts and enough experience to kind of get my foot in the door with the Beacon Center. And I took this like pretty entry level job for them. It was an outreach coordinator role. Um, and I ended up really expanding that role while I was there. I worked really, really hard, built it out into where I think I was a director by the time I left over two and a half years. So I really kind of like seized that opportunity. And even while I was working at Beacon, probably putting in, you know, 50 to 60 hours some weeks, ultimately, I also was working on the side running a coalition that was doing mental health health work and criminal justice reform work, because that's really where I wanted to focus my intention um, within politics. That then opened the door um, ultimately for me to take over conservatives concerned when my predecessor had left. Um, and I wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not been doing all this work at Beacon plus this side work. You know, ultimately that meant I was working up to 80 hours a week. Sometimes I was busting it. I really like didn't have a whole lot of a social life. Um, I really was putting a ton of time and energy into that. Now, I want to clarify and say this. I've learned over time. That's not always healthy to do. I've learned <laughs> to balance a bit better. You need to have a social life in this work. You need to have your health in check. You need to be able to sleep and work out. You're not going to stay in this movement long if you burn yourself out. But that's what I did when I first got into it. Um, and then took over Conservatives Concern and ran it for three years. Um, and I, it was great. I got to really achieve really big policy reform, which had been a goal of mine. I got to work specifically on criminal justice, which had been a, a, role of, a goal of mine. And then I also got to work at the national level, which was something I was really hoping to do. Um, I wanted to get out of just Tennessee-based politics. So that was a huge um, door that opened for me because I had been doing all this side work. Um, and then when I got to Conservatives Concern, I continued that trend, right? I was working a lot of long hours. I was traveling. I was doing a lot for the organization, but I still was working on my own brand, my own platform on the side. I was writing, I was doing social media, I was building contacts, I was networking. And yet again, that side work, that side hustle helped propel me even further into what I really ultimately wanted to do, which was to be a commentator and a writer and somebody who had a platform to speak more broadly about issues um, that ended up leading me to doing a lot of uh, contract work writing. Um, it lead it led me to launching based my podcast and then my newsletter. And then all of that sort of accumulated in the past year and, and ultimately opened the door for me to basically build the role I have now with the foundation for economic education. I would describe this as my total dream job. I had always wanted to work for fee. I had always wanted to have this type of position and get paid to do it full time, but it took years and years and years of working to get to where I ultimately am. I graduated college in 2010 as of this year, I'm kind of like where I want to be in politics. So that's that's a lot of work that went in behind the scenes to, to move me to what people now see. Yeah, I think you have to have the end goal in mind, you know, and be patient that it may take a long time to get there. You know, I'm I, in my um, I was in a play and they asked, like, what, what would your dream job be? And it was traveling around the country, talking to people, telling their stories. And like, I'm just almost there. Right. Like it's. You know, 20 years later. But what I is it fair to summarize what you just said? The traits are persistence and patience and having goals. I think that I think all that's true. And I would add um, humility and grit because a lot of it came down to being willing to do jobs that were maybe beneath me at times, willing to do jobs that not necessarily everybody wanted to do, willing to take on more work than other people around me would take on. I think all of that attributed to it. So I think it's important to, to keep that in mind. Like the people I've seen who get ahead, they don't just fall into it. They're, they're the ones that really come in and hustle and, and they don't think there's work beneath them. And they're, they're kind of willing to take on what, what's, what they can take on at the moment. You know, there's a lot of people who will wait and wait and wait for a dream job to come along instead of saying, but what can I do right now? 
mm-hmm. what's available to me right now, what's the next step I can take to get closer to this, and maybe it's not exactly what I want to be doing. But everything I've done in my past has led to my current career. You know, even my time in the music industry, I learned so much about marketing and PR and publicity and like all of that actually still comes into play. So it's not time wasted. Everything you do in those steps ultimately can help better you for the the job you want to end up at. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead, Harry. Yes. That's exactly like, um, is the one thing that can help a lot of people out in their careers. Like there's certain um, people will view jobs or just tasks that are beneath them. Like I know more than this. So I'm not doing that. That's, that's a task beneath me. That's if you work in any startups, you will find out that you have to be able to do, to put on any hat that the, that the company needs for that time being you or, and you have to learn on what skill that you can pick up from that job. So if it's a jobs, you're doing something, you may not like it, but it, there's a skill that you can pick up from it, uh, like like to learning how to organize, how to do a ticket system, how to network and make just like correspondence with like vendors. That's a huge, that's a massive skill. And the other thing is, um, is what perks does this job give me? You may not like the job, but if the job gives, gives you the perk to either work remotely or do something else on the side so you can build your goal, that's an, an amazing job. You know, that's, you know, just one of those things like, you know, you're more than what you're what you're getting paid and you're more than your job title. If you're working towards something like the added perk, like I enjoy working at jobs that allowed me to basically tinker and play with electronics. I would do like like goofy help desk jobs, but since I was able to get access to the data centers, the servers, the networking equipment, I'm able to get more experience and learn more. And it's and it's how I've gotten where I, um, where I am. I just keep tinkering and I keep keep playing. But you know, which is now which uh, I'm starting to struggle with is like I've reached this mountain that I've got like okay, this is where I've always wanted to be. This is where I want to work. What the heck do I do now? That's <laughs> I, I've kind of had that lately. It's it's like. I've done all my dream jobs. I've peaked. <laughs> like now, what? What? I I've got to feel passion again. I've got to like, and I think it's hard to kind of dig yourself out of that moment where you're like, I've done the stuff I want to do. I'm not as hungry as I was. I've got a family that's more interesting to me. Like, how do I kind of find that same fire? And I think it's it's a mindset thing. And and you know, going back to to grit and tenacity and stick with itness, uh, Jess, we've seen over the last ten years a lot of people come in. And there's always like a really popular person and then they kind of like flame out. Like you've been one of the most consistent people, I think, in the movement for a long time. You're one of the most goal oriented. It's very, very fun. Every December I get a call from Jess and I love this and please never stop because it's so fun. Jess calls me every December and she's like, what's your goals for next year? Here's my goals for next year. What do you want to work on? What do you want to work on? And I love that because it makes me like, oh, yeah, I got to have some goals. (laughs) And Jess is responsible for me, like really setting goals. Like my goals for this year are build a self-sustaining pod podcasting course to teach people podcasting. I'm, I'm really close to finishing that. Um, you know, buy a ring, work out twice a week, read two books a week. Um, and I've achieved almost all of those thanks to Jess because you're super good. Yeah. Uh, you know, like one of your (laughs) goals was writing more this year. Um, you know, when you're sitting there, what is it about goals, especially in relation to your career? Because you've got long-term goals that we've talked about. I'm not going to ask you to expose those on the air, but like, what what is it? Wh- why is it important? I think it goes back to what Hannah was talking about and like the burnout factor, because if 
if you don't have achievable goals set that you want uh, goals that you want to achieve, it does, they don't always have to be achievable, but if you don't want to achieve them, you're never even going to achieve them. And what helps me with goal setting is that it allows me to then create the boundaries to prevent me from failing to meet those goals. So it's like, if I have this goal in mind, I can then make sure that I'm setting aside time to achieve it. Because if it's not something that I've like set out that I want to accomplish it, I want to get it done, then it's probably never even going to end up happening. So I'm going to want to go have fun. Today is such a beautiful day in the DC area. It's going to be like a high of 84 after 100 degree days for the past few days. And it's going to be so beautiful out. And I could easily just be like, I'm going to go play all day. But I have things that I want to achieve. And so as Hannah was said, there's sacrifices that we've had to make in order to have our careers look the way that they do today, the way that we want them to look. I've had to make a lot of sacrifices. And like, sometimes that includes a nice, beautiful day out in the sun, maybe by the pool. Um, so yeah, I'm just all about goal setting. And I actually have them right in front of me. And they I can see them every single day when I'm at my workstation. And, um, you know, I think these are these are the things that I want to accomplish. And one of them is starting a business this year, I said, I'm going to start a business no matter how big or small, whether or not it fails, or it's a success, I just want to start one business. So I'm officially getting the paperwork together to have an LLC. So that way I have at least I've started a business, it may not be there may not be an LLC that has a lot going on for it right now, but it's getting, it's getting started. So it's like, I have to, I have to break out every single goal I have like monthly, weekly kind of achievable goals to make them happen. And I'm kind of on track to get all of my goals achieved this year, except this is one where Hannah could help me out. I have not started doing yoga this year. <laughs> so that means now I have to do it like three times a week in order to make up for all the time that I miss. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it about achieving those goals? What does it do for you? Like what, what is the mindset? I guess that like once it's towards the end that, I mean, is it, is it a fulfillment? Is it like, uh, uh, like what, I don't know how to explain exactly what I'm asking. I don't know if you understand, mm. but like, yeah, I think I do. Yeah. It's like, I, I have big dreams that I set for myself and they're, they're mostly career related dreams. And I know that if I keep my life the same every single day, the way it is, that those dreams are never going to be achievable. So I have to work towards something. I have to strive towards something. And every single year is this new opportunity to reflect and figure out, are you on track to achieve those big dreams? If not, what can you shift, take out, remove, add to your life in order to put yourself on the trajectory? So I think a yearly, a yearly reflection is super important for us all to um, kind of live our best lives. And that's what, that's what we should be doing is how do we live our very best life? And what does that look like? Yeah, it goes back to what Larry Sharp was saying, Harry. Like, unhappy people are like what how did he phrase it it was so good and i clipped it out i haven't had a chance to post it yet but like unhappy people don't accomplish much they're they criticize they their lives aren't functional happy people aren't looking to punish other people or to force other people to live a certain way or 
you know, happy people achieve a lot and it has a great impact. I mean, I'll open it up to anybody. Where does, how does achievement impact areas of your life when you, when you achieve some of these goals? Yeah, they grow great momentum. And if you're happy, other people will also want to be around you as well. Yeah. I get put on a lot of different teams just for simple fact. They're like, well, go grab Harry. He's, he's poppy. He's happy. He's always happy. He's, he'll wake up early in the morning at 4 a.m. and want to start projects. It's great. It's awesome. Put him on this team. Yeah, it's the central there's message. A, go ahead, Jess. There's a life hack that I learned. It's um, called Mudita. It's spelled M-U-D-I-T-A. And it's um, vicarious joy or mm. feeling happiness for somebody else's happiness. So if somebody has something good happen to them or some kind of success and just celebrating their joy is it makes you just as happy as creating your own joy. And it's a life hack because you don't actually have to do anything to create the joy. You just have to be happy for someone else. Hannah, Jess is like one of the best people to be around. Everybody listening or watching, especially like you can feel the smile on her face, like the happiness. She's a high achieving person. And here is exactly right. Like it's infectious, isn't it? It absolutely, absolutely is. I love Jess's whole demeanor. She's always cheerful. She's always optimistic. She's kind of my foil in some way <laughs> in that regard. But it, it just rubs off on you. It's contagious and it's so invigorating to be around. And, and Jess is somebody who definitely embodies vicarious joy. I mean, she's always cheerleading her friend. She's always encouraging people. Even at times when Jess and I have been in the running for the same job, she's like, you got this. <laughs> so... I mean, she she does that so well. And I think that that's what we lack oftentimes in the liberty movement is excitement for one another, cheering one another on, really trying to build each other up. Um, I think oftentimes, unfortunately, we see a lot of competition or people that are really nitpicking one another in the liberty movement. And, and we need to actually come together and, and push one another forward. And I think that's how we're going to build a larger movement. And that's something people want to be around. They're attracted to. So, Jess, you've done a great job. You've been such an incredible spokesperson for the libertarian movement, even by de facto. And I just have really appreciated her attitude. It's encouraging. And I think she does also challenge people to be a better version of themselves, to constantly be thinking about their goals, how to achieve them, and believing they can achieve them. And I love that about her. Um, and lastly, you know, they say surround yourself with people you want to be like. And getting to be close with Jess over the past year or so has been great great for me because I've oftentimes felt a little bit isolated in my hustle. Like today, Jess said, you know, it's a pretty day, but I have work to do. And I'm the same camp. Like I'll be sitting by my pool after this, but I'm going to be working. I'm going to be writing base. I'm going to be outlining. I'm going to be doing other work. Um, and so having that sort of support from other people and, and being surrounded by other people who work like that, it gives you kind of the energy to keep going and, and to feel like you're, you're working towards something bigger. And I think that's how you keep the tenacity going, even once you've achieved maybe your initial goals or you're at a place where you're doing the kind of work you want to be doing. For me, that's not the end goal, though. The end goal is to push our country in the direction I want to see it go. And there's so much work to do that I think when I keep that mentality, like there's a fire in me that I have to keep working. I don't get to go play outside because I have to really work to protect our rights and to hopefully save our country in some ways. Yeah. So I, I think that that's the mentality we need so that we can um, keep our you know noses to the ground. Yeah, I think it's it's our, our default position and maybe it's our generation, our country, our media atmosphere, our movement. I don't know. It's it's it, we're by default cynical, um, disbelieving, distrusting, uh, and 
that could just kind of makes you a miserable person. You know, if you listen to the music that we listen to, I'm 37, so graduated in 02. Like, Limp Biscuit isn't like this hopeful, <laughs> like, we're all going to make it, man. Like, Marilyn Manson isn't optimistic, hopeful music, right? Like, there's so I think we kind of default to that position of like, communism has taken over everything is going to hell these are all the people i hate and i think one one thing that jess tries to embody is uh and what we try to do here hannah does it and and fee has always done uh fee.org make sure you go check it out sign up for the emails brad palumbo's great uh but go go check it out my associate producer oh just walked in okay i thought the mini associate producer was here and we were gonna have hello in the background um but Optimism has to be at the core of this. Achievement has to be at the core of the libertarian message. Building institutions has to be at the core of the libertarian message. Personal growth, personal, like, in being healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in all of these different ways, because it makes us attractive, right? Like, you don't, you don't win a culture by being just sullen and awful, Right. Like, and so I just think it's always been popular in libertarian circles. The person who's freaking out the most and being the most negative and being the most cynical and angry at authority wins. But I don't think long term that's good for the person. That's not good for the host. It's not good for the listener. It's not good for the country. It's not going to make you an attractive voice. It may work for a while, but you cannot keep that up. Uh, I'm living testimony to that. But I want to go back. uh, Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, Go to Hannah. speak to that, at Young Americans for Liberty last week at the Revolution 2021 conference Jess and I were at, they got Ron Paul there. They didn't know if they'd be able to get him because he's not traveling as much lately, but they managed to get him. And the speech he gave was so optimistic. It was so empowering. We all left there like, yes, <laughs> like let's go fight. And I realized in that moment how starved I am for that, how much I need that because it, it is easy to be cynical. Anybody can be cynical. Anybody can become pessimistic, but that's not how you long-term keep up the fight. We need that optimism that eternal optimism. And we don't just see that in the libertarian movement. Um, although I do think, you know, our best people have embodied that, including fees founding uh, founder, Lawrence E. Reed. But I also see that in other successful movements in our history. You know, you look at Martin Luther King Jr. And he had this eternal optimism, you know, his whole quote about the, the moral arc of history is on our side. Like we have to keep that mentality that we might lose a lot, but ultimately we will win. It is in our founding. It is in our history. We do see that justice can be achieved, that we can move towards good outcomes. And so I think that I really left that conference and left Ron Paul's speech wanting to surround myself with more of that and wanting to be more of that in the movement too. One of the, I think it's important to remember that motivates people. One of the, one of the, th- I went back uh, when I built libertyexplained.com, which is like a site for new libertarians or people who just want like a quick guide to here's who's what, where. And I watched a lot of Ron Paul videos from 08, and it reminded me what I liked about him is that he was super optimistic. And we've lost sight of that because I think a lot of the people who claim his mantle now are super pessimistic. Um, But when you go back and listen, it's like, we can change the world. We just, we have the right message. You can do it. Let's get together. Let's build a community around this idea. And I, I think everybody should go back and watch some RP 08 because, and I think, you know, even in some ways he's, he's, uh, I won't speak ill of Ron Paul. I don't want to get canceled in the libertarian movement, but not with not with achieved, accomplished guest on the show here. We have to be polite. Uh, I want to bring Reinhold in, but I th- I think the uh, one of the messages here is you've got to surround yourself with with strong people that motivate you. 
you know, and I think that's been a, a big part of this. I, I was talking to a client. I do podcast consulting and was talking to uh, one of them and they're like, man, I just couldn't get to my show the past three weeks. And I appreciated so much that when I couldn't get to my show last week, I could call on Harry to step up, you know, like Harry did a great job last week. I loved it. Uh, Rimzo was hilarious. Um, was, was Vincent. He didn't talk much, but that's okay with me. Uh, he, but he did well too. You know, Harry and I signed a contract that Harry once a month is going to do that show because uh, Harry needs to, you know, he's like, I want to practice hosting. I need to get my chops up. I'm like, okay, I, I could use the extra time. But we've built like a community of people that kind of work together, Reinhold, to kind of support each other. You know, if you can't be here, then I can be there. You know, we motivate each other to kind of, uh, you know, you're, you, uh, you are uh, – uh, you're one of the smartest people I know, but you give into that resistance a lot. And I think we try to motivate you and pull you. I mean, can you speak on that? Because I want to talk about resistance and um, overcoming that next. You mean like personal resistance or internal resistance? Yes, sort of right. Like resistance, yeah. if you've never read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield and all of mm-hmm. Pressfield's books, they're great. They're, I went to the gym this morning. I haven't been in three weeks. I feel like crap. But there's this thing inside of me that says, eh, you don't need to go. You, you're fine. You're fine. But no, I feel like garbage. I need to go. It's, it was hard. It sucked. You know, I, I have an outline of something I want to do that I want to write. And it's, I haven't done it yet. It's that resistance that kind of keeps you from achieving those goals. It's an internal thing. What is that? Right. So it's different for, so here's the thing is that, Everybody is kind of a little bit different. I mean, we have our types of personalities and and people see the world in certain ways, but um, that's, that was kind of the problem with the self-help self-help stuff that happened in the eighties and nineties that were uh, like a big deal. People are trying to do all the self-help stuff is that some approaches work for some people. They don't work for other people because different people are seeing things in a different light or experiencing things, internalizing them, that sort of thing. So, for me personally, which may not be the same for anybody else, is that I see other people doing good things, good work, uh, being entertaining, doing all that stuff. And then I try to do it. I'm not as good as that. And then I feel like, what's the point? Because if I don't, uh, if I'm not going to be able to excel at this and, and be the best at it, do I want to waste my time doing it? Right. And then, that that self doubt it is what really kind of throws me a loop doing certain things when I try to do them. So um, that's something I struggle with. Not some other people don't struggle with that, but that's just how I how I have the problem with that. I also have uh, procrastination issues, right? Um, where I want to feel good now at, at the expense of feeling good later. Um, instead of doing the the sacrifice now for the future me to then feel better. So it's, it's like a constant battle that I have to have internally just to make anything happen like that. So, um, I mean, I wanted to be a writer. So I started writing 30 years ago, you know, I haven't achieved the goals and things that I wanted to do with it, but I feel a sense of accomplishment for having at least done that. Um, and, uh, the question on my mind comes around to um, how do we tailor a message? How do we get 
that belief out to people that it's different for everybody, but you can, anybody can achieve their goal. Um, we just have to find the best, best path for you to do that and how to overcome the hurdles that you personally have to get there without making it feel like to them, if you're not doing this stuff, you're failing or you're doing it wrong, or this isn't the right way to do it. Um, Because then that feels like an attack as well. Right. And you see, you see famous, uh, like Gary Vandichuk is, he's very positive. He goes out there and tells uh, great stories about being motivated and doing this. You can do it. But if that doesn't resonate with someone, it almost feels like he's, a used car salesman. <laughs> he in 2013, yeah. when we were doing the show report, we we uh, right when he wasn't really that popular yet. He had written a book and was doing a press tour. So Ryan Ripley reached out to him, said, uh, "Yeah, I'll come on, but you got to buy five books." I'm like, "Okay, all right." And then Ryan had a uh, a job thing, so we had to reschedule. And he goes, "Well, now it's a hundred books." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> uh, how do you guys? How do you guys get uh, past that resistance? You know. Jess, Harry, Hannah, weigh in, whichever, whoever like to go first. But, you know, that resistance to achieve those goals and like, all right, I've got this career goal. I've got to do this thing. Nobody's on me. Nobody's watching me. I don't have a boss, but I've got to sit down and put that pen to paper. Like, how do you force yourself? What tools do you use to make yourself do it? I'm, I'm ready for this, Chris. Go ahead, Jess. <laughs> so I love um, studying the American Revolution and George Washington, he lived on Mount Vernon, which is five or six miles away from where I live. And I got a membership to go there for a year. And the museum there, when I toured it, I looked around and I was like, this is a phenomenal museum. I can't believe how great this museum is. And then I was in an atrium and I saw like names on a wall and it was like Ford family. And I'm like, Oh, this is not a government museum. I was like, this is, it's a private museum. That's why it's so nice. And one of the things I learned in that museum is that the, um, the revolutionary soldiers utilized asymmetrical warfare tactics in order to win the American revolution. And one of those tactics was knowledge of the land. The other one is a will to win at all costs. And the third, I cannot remember, but the will to win at all costs is the most important one. I think is that you have to have the will. That's something you cannot buy or manufacture. You have to have to have it within yourself. And so something I've done as a person that has a problem with presidential campaigns and a desire to overtake the White House, not the way they did on January 6th with the Capitol, <laughs> but um, Bo- through Boogaloo. actually winning the election. Boogaloo mirrors <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah, they're actually, you know, winning the election fairly. Um, that's a that's a career goal I have for myself is to uh, win the White House. So I have White House sized dreams as a libertarian, and um, you have to have big dreams in order to even be willing to see yourself as somebody that can accomplish that task that so many people would think of as impossible. So what I have done is to make this dream something very special and worth pursuing. I am manifesting a slumber party in the White House after inauguration and by oh, and kind of go. kind of like uh, really 
cute and endearing um, and sharing that with people. It helps people kind of see my dream and see, see my intention for wanting the White House. I don't want the White House for power. Actually, I would like to get somebody in the White House and then not be involved with it anymore and say goodbye to American politics. But um, just being able to invite people to come on this journey with me to a sleepover party in the White House someday is a good way for people to see that I mean what I say I'm going to do. But also I have this kind of fun way to finish the goal. It's it's not going to be a goal where I cross the finish line and I'm like, you know, it, you know, barely, barely making it. It's a finish line I want to cross and have a sleepover party at the White House. <laughs> That's that's one thing that like I guess the answer Hannah is you just got to do it. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I really appreciate what Reinhold said. I think that that's um extremely vulnerable to talk about, but it's something many people face. I face it and I I call it career envy, right? But it can kneecap you. It really can. And I've had that happen where, you know, I have friends who have gotten to a place I wanted to be at and I've struggled, like Jess, you know, said to have vicarious joy. I want to support them and be happy for them and I externally am, but internally you're like crap. Like, I really want to be doing that. I really want that opportunity. But I think, you know, you were talking um, before we went live about Larry Sharp's comments that um, happy people aren't trying to run other people's lives. And I think that's absolutely true. But I want to add to that and say that happy people aren't blaming others for where they are in their lives. They're not blaming systems. They're not blaming other people. They're not blaming their boss or the landlord. I think happy, successful people ultimately turn that back around on themselves and say, okay, If I'm not where I'm at, if I'm not where I want to be, it is ultimately my fault. It is ultimately my responsibility. What am I going to do? And I've usually managed to then take those instances and turn it into, okay, let's look at what your friend did or this other person in in your orbit did. Maybe ask them, you know, what are the steps you took to get here? What are the contacts you have that I could maybe pursue? What are, and learn from them, you know, be willing to be vulnerable and say, hey, I'd really like to be where you are. I'd really like to do this. You know, what advice do you have for me? And what I've found is that number one, the vast majority of people, especially successful people, are eager to help others. There's this mentality we have that everybody's going to be very like gatekeeping and, and trying to pull the ladder up beneath them. But that actually has not been my experience most of the time. Most people who become successful get there because somebody else helped them get there and they're eager to then pass that on and help other people. Um, once I learned to kind of drop that pride issue that I had around it and start asking those questions, I found as a whole that there were a lot of people that were willing to open up and share their experience, even share their contacts with me. Um, And really, it started to advance my career a lot more quickly when I was willing to kind of um, have that humility and just start trying to learn from people instead of be jealous of them or or envy them. Um, And I've used that as kind of, you know, I then have a person to um, look at and to model my next steps after to try to get where they are. It's actually more of an opportunity, I think, than anything. Thing. Um, but that's that's one way I kind of keep my drive up and keep myself from feeling um, stalled or wanting to give up and walk away. Because the reality is, no matter where you get in your career, there's always going to be somebody who's better than you or more successful than you. And you can let that stop you um, or you can let it motivate you. Yeah, for sure. Harry, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, f- uh, for me, because uh, I'm 4 a.m. crew, all those who wake up at 4 a.m. Well, hi, 4 a.m. crew. Shut up. I- 
I like I like to listen to Kurt Russell and uh, Sly. Every day is like Kurt Russell, the speech and miracles stuff like that, and Sly <laughs> like quotes to get you up and moving. Um, like, but yes, the the main thing that's stopping you is you. It's you. Like, it's that's my motivation. It's like what stopped me from getting from what I want. It's always me. It's like because I chose to do X, do over that. Do is doing that is really more important than what I want in the future. It's those type of things that will, like, to me is like. It'll get in my head and that keeps me motivated. It keeps me moving. It's the other thing I always do is uh, for my old podcasting partner is just start, just start something, just do it. Do it. Even if you do it and you absolutely fail and you got 20% of victory, whatever, you're better than you were at uh, we're not starting at zero. You know, yeah. I can start something like I can start something. I can do something like if you wanted to start hiking, right? You can have no gear, nothing. But if you just at least went to the, to the grounds, started on the trail, went halfway up, ran out of water and walked right back, you're better than when you were yesterday. Exactly. Uh, before we take a break, I want to, you know, kind of put a bow on this. One of the most tenacious people I know, what, you know, is Miss Pat. I'm, I'm a co-host on the Pat Down. Jesse, you listen to the Pat Down. Uh, big fan. Dion's in the comments here. Um, also one of the most disciplined, tenacious people I know. Um, and, you know, a couple years ago, I was having a conversation with her before we started the podcast, the Pat Down Together. She was like, I don't know. I don't know if this TV show is going to happen. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you have the best story. Because she grew up as a, as a, I mean, her story, just go read her book, Rabbit. It's unbelievable. One of the top three best books I've ever read. You'll read it in two hours. From where she started to where she's at, it's just uh, pure will. She willed herself into her dreams, and uh, she's, her TV show launched on August 12th. We have two weeks of watching. Please put it on loop on BET Plus uh, so she can get a second season. But it's it's a phenomenal show. Um, and the pat down is a lot about her, her tenacity, you know, to get to where she wants to be, to get a TV show, to get book deals, to become, I think she's going to be one of the most iconic comedians of all time. So make sure you go check out the pat down rabbit and the miss pat show on BT plus. I have a story because I think encouragement is really important and it, and it all plays into what we've been talking about here on the Chris Spangle show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Chris Spangle Show. We are talking about pursuing your career goals, your career dreams, and uh, Vaughn, one of our writers and occasional podcast host here on the show, says you are the poster boy for imposter syndrome. You're a talented person who doesn't think that you are allowed to do anything, <laughs> and you know it's really. Uh, over the last couple of years, Miss Pat's helped a lot. Reagan, my fiance, has helped a lot. I, I've started to think I'd like to do this, but here's all the reasons I can't. And started to really focus on applying my talents, not being embarrassed that I'm talented and have talents, and applying them to what I want to do in my career. And I've never had more fun. I've never been more satisfied. I've never um, made more money. I've never had, uh, uh, I mean, I just wish I had started at 22 and not 37 to really like live. Um, and, and one of the, one of the flashpoints for this was a conversation with, um, a woman named Sunny Galt and Sunny runs this, uh, this is Sunny and I at podcast movement last week. 
Um, Sonny runs the independent podcast network and uh, podcaster, runs a, a consulting business, um, has a new network of which We Are Libertarians is an associate of independent podcast network, so we can kind of advocate as as things in podcasting get centralized and radio starts to do to podcasting what they did to radio, um, we're putting together like this guild of of other networks to kind of emphasize our voice. And like two years ago, I'm sitting there looking at Sunny, going, "This is what I want to do. This is this person, Sunny. She is doing everything that I want to do. How do I get to where she is?" And I'm a shy person by nature who doesn't like to bother people. It's a big reason I've talked about this why we don't do interviews on this show. I don't like to bother Hannah and Jess. I don't want to take up their time. Who would want to talk to me? Which is a very dumb way to think about it, right? Um, And a very uh, limiting belief. And, you know, so I got up the nerve to email Sonny. And I'm like, man, should I pay her? You know, this is a $200 conversation. She's like, oh, I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, I'd love to share my experience and tips and tricks. And a 15-minute phone call turned into an hour that completely changed the trajectory of this network. Um, you know, she she used her experience to encourage me to think bigger about where we're at. And over the, the course of a year, we stair-stepped from uh, – that. It, it, James is right. He's right. I'm not shy on Facebook, but in person, I'm, I'm a wallflower. Uh, we stair-stepped from, you know – the We Are Libertarians podcast, and then I knew I needed to change the show to the Chris Spangle show, and then we needed to switch hosts from a small host to an expensive host, and then we needed to do some ads, and then we needed to do, and I stair-stepped it kind of to where we're at now. We're selling advertisements. We have our first advertiser, which means our hosts are getting paid, uh, which means the the financial fortunes of the, the network have completely changed because of, of this advertiser. Um, because of the programmatic ads that we run, uh, if you don't like the ads, I'm sorry, but it's just become more expensive to to run the network, and uh, you can get it ad free at wallplus.com on our Patreon. So, but that conversation with Sunny was was really important for the growth of this network because she said, "Yes, that idea that you have is good, and you should do these three things that you also want to do, but you're not doing." And don't do these three things in my experience. And it was really, really great to meet her last week in uh, Nashville at Podcast Movement because it really changed everything. Like we have, you know, a full network and we're all making a little bit of money off of off of the time. I mean, it's not much like if the hourly rate that like Brian and myself and Remzo and Trish are making, it's like pennies on the dollar <laughs> you know but we're we're all piling that back right into into growing our podcast and growing this network so i has there been a moment for any of the four of you where somebody like that took time they're they're down the road you know they're down the road in their career and had a conversation with you that inspired you to kind of go shit i got this i can do this hannah you're shaking your head you want to go yeah, first? I mean, th- there's too many to even count. Honestly, I'm just thinking about all the like phases and iterations I've had of my career. And at every single step, I feel there's been somebody who was just such a big deal. I was like, I can't believe they're taking time with me. And I remember the first time that happened was when 
I was in college and I encountered still to this day, one of my best mentors, a very successful businessman. And he just started pouring into me. Like he was just sending me all these resources and setting up calls with me and telling me things he'd learned and, and tell me, telling me business practices. And I was like, why, why are you doing this? Like, you know, are, are you hitting on me? Like I was so <laughs> confused. I by have that it. all the and, time. I know what you mean. Yeah. And, um, and he said, no, like I, I have had so many people help me in my career. I came up from nothing and it's my passion to help other people, you know, young people that I see something in be successful. And he said, I especially realized that a lot of young women don't get this. And it just, it really did. I mean, to this day, I have things that he taught me that come into play that come up when I'm doing different things within the business community, even within like fundraising. I think back to best practices. He told me about raising money. Like, it, it was extensive. And it's still to this day when I think about the time he invested in me, how much it meant. And and it really meant even more because at the time I was like, you know, a 21 year old college kid. And I was like, what could he possibly see in me that would make me worth this amount of his time? Um, but, and there, there have been many, many others. So I appreciate that. And I think it goes back to the um, fact that people are more willing to help than I think people think. And Chris, I, I love that you said that at the beginning. I often have wondered, like, I wonder why Chris doesn't ask me on his show. <laughs> it's because I don't want to bother you. No, I know that's your <laughs> mentality. But I would love um, for you to bother me. I lo- that's, <laughs> Jess knows me well enough to go, I'm coming on your show. Tell me the date you want me on. You know, And I'd love to interview more people and have more people on. But I'm I'm working myself out of that. I'm like I need to ask people on. I need to do interviews. I need you know. I've, and you find like all these excuses of why you can't do this or that because you don't want to do that. You know. And it's it's uh it's you just have to. That's the importance of emotional and mental growth is getting past those limiting beliefs. Everybody's got something, right? Like mine's. I don't want to bother people. I shouldn't call patrons or I shouldn't do this because they're busy. You know. You know, that's that's I think my one of my core beliefs. And I think everybody who does creative work or media has something like nobody's going to like this article or I'm afraid of of stepping on too many toes or, you know, I don't want to be seen this way. Fear is a mind killer. Yes, James. James is uh, uh, a guy that I, I love. He's a video producer. And James, I dropped your name to, to somebody last week, actually, to hire you. Um, and creative work is all about getting over fear, getting past that, that limiting belief. I've had so many mentors in my life that have, you know, people like Tom Griswold and Miss Pat that you, most of you might know my, my boss, John, uh, Ryan, Ryan Ripley and Robert Vane and Mark Rutherford and these people who, yeah, it's weird, Jess, when somebody says you have no experience, you're kind of in a low position, but you have talent and I want to help you. And you're like, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, have you had that experience? I last year, um, initially I was interviewing or trying to be the deputy campaign manager for the Joe Jorgensen campaign. And I made the call to Steve Dosbach, the campaign manager the day after Joe received the nomination. And then the next day, Spike Cohen came on my podcast and took his shirt off uh, because he was dared to by Chrissy and Nipplegate started. And <laughs> Nipplegate is an internal libertarian trauma that lasted for two weeks, but it impacted me immensely because people thought I should lose my job over Nipplegate. And after a couple weeks of time went by, the Jorgensen campaign realized it really needed some uh, assistance. 
And the person that advocated for me to get a job on the campaign after I thought there was no way the campaign would hire me because they were not happy about Nipplegate, I got a call asking if I could uh, join the campaign and be Dr. Jorgensen's aide on the campaign trail. And it was Dan Fishman. He was the executive director of the party at the time that knew I had the experience working with Gary and Bill from 2016. And he was like, Jess is the person to do this job. So he advocated for me, even though he knew that the campaign had a little bit less than a favorable impression of me. But it was um, that opportunity that he was able to um, bring me back to that then paved the way for a few weeks of hard time on the campaign of really getting things up and running that Steve Dosbach then was like, okay, you've earned the deputy campaign manager title where you're, you can use it now. And so I really appreciated Dan advocating for me after the nipple gate kind of, um, put that opportunity on the back burner for me. Did you, and then it did was you in- like, take Spike's shirt off? Why were you responsible for nipple game? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all... Um, Brett Bittner says it's uh, never Bittner, but it's always Jess. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, isn't that funny? Like, if you're, like, a genuine, like, a nice person, usually you get fucked... You get blamed more. <laughs> like, you become the... Uh, always Jess. <laughs> right. Reinhold, Harry, do you, do you have... And I think it's important. You have to have a backbone. You have to stand up for yourself. You, you, you know... It's it's important. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Harry, do you Harry Reinhold, do you have a moment of mentorship that you know where either you've mentored or you've been mentored that was important? Well, I think mentoring is a is a huge deal, and I, I was actually working to try to get mentoring um, programs in place in order to help you know inner city people, people who are less privileged, that sort of thing, because that's really I think a big key in, in helping solve some of these issues. Um, and, you know, something like, you know, what Rupert's doing today, which is just amazing. And I think that's a real big deal there. Um, personally, in my life, though, I've had in, in my real career um, where I where I actually make my money is um, I had a friend of mine who took me in as a mentor. And um, he was at the time uh, uh, much higher in the, in the organization than I was, that we were in the same organization. So he would meet with me once a week in the morning. He just says, I'm going to mentor you and we're going to do this. And we're going to have, oh, I want you to read these books. I want you to think about this. I want you to try this. And he would try to help me in my career path uh, to get me where I needed to go. So, I mean, I always had a problem growing. So I was raised to be very self de- uh, dependent, you know, to, to be, um, to not rely on anybody else for anything. If I do it, it's, it's me that does it, etc. And that was a, a great thing that my, my dad had instilled into me. Right. Um, but it also leads to a point where I rejected help that was being offered at times. And cause I took it a little too far. Um, so when, when you're trying to do things like that and people are trying to help you, identi- you need to identify that as being real and sincere and not in and not somebody just trying to take advantage of you or you feel you know negative or self-conscious about doing that um whatever's best for for your you know path forward i think is is what you need to look for and um finding that mentor and and the real key too is once you do succeed and, and like somebody like myself i've you know succeeded in my career uh, in that aspect i spent 
you know, the last, you know, 10 or 12, 15 years uh, at the company I'm at mentoring other people that were coming on. We bring on new engineers, we need to bring new uh, consultants in and, and I would make sure to try to work with each of them to say, okay, here's the things I've learned. Here's the things I can help you. If you have any questions, reach out to me. Um, and so providing that back helps keep that going. Yeah, I think that's hugely important, and that's something that I've always tried to do. You really got to focus. You know, now that I'm at a point in my career, you see people. You got to give back. You got to give that back to people. Um, are there some instances where you're like, are, are you guys at the point in your career like me where you're like, all right, I'm old now. I'm experienced. I need to like help these young kids who don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, is there anybody that you're, you, you t- have taken under your wing? Like, uh, uh, are, uh, you know, you, because you, you can approach it, right? You, you can be that person that goes, you've got talent. Let me show you this. And I don't want anything and, in return. And, and just to, to one quick add on before we move on to somebody else's story about this, but there's a great couple of great examples of people that I brought on and mentored that they were, you know, much younger than me. Uh, they came into the company as a, as a internish type of person and started working as a consultant. They succeeded. And at a point where I was having an issue that I needed help dealing with or, or a problem that I was having where they had gone into a different direction and were more up, uh, more expected in that area. Um, I reached out to them and say, Hey, no, I don't want to bother you, but I'm having this issue. Can you help me? And then they were immediately like, Oh my God, you helped me so much. Of course I would give back to you. And, and realizing that at that point I had helped them more than I had thought I had. Right? Yeah. I thought I had just been a voice of, 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 you know, a little bit of advice here and there, but they were so appreciative of the help that I had given them that they dropped everything to help me. You heard that in the podcast with Brian. He's like, do you remember this conversation? I'm like, no. It's like, it it was my pivot point. You don't, I was like, I feel bad, but I don't remember it. Uh, (laughs) Harry, you're down your head. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yes. There's been several different like IT technicians I've helped out, which like, yeah, I didn't even know I was like mentoring them until someone else either pointed out what I was doing or they've came to me later on. I was just like, thank you. You really helped me out. You know, like I really appreciated it. You know, this is, you know, you you have no idea what you've done for my career, but it was also like that. Like um, when I even found my mentor, it was like when I first got out of college and had my first like real job, you know, and my mentor found me like, he was just basically just told me like, you have tons of talent. You have great instincts. You have no idea how less, how crappy skills you have and need to be worked on. And, you know, you, have, you, you just don't know what you don't know. And he basically took me under, uh, went under his wing and got to teach me all these, just how to learn and how to pick up skills in another environment and to pull things out. It was, you know, it, it, it was the, great moment of my life uh it i learned a lot but from going back and pulling people up a lot of the times i don't know i'm doing it and and i always feel like i'm doing it correct when i don't know i'm doing that and i feel like i do it poorly when i set out like i'm doing this do this it never works out for me then usually having a terrible experience with that person but usually if i'm just helping someone out and i don't know i'm helping them it's I usually have the the better experience. I'm having a struggling a hard time with that sometimes with some younger kids, especially this newer crop of graduates. They are I don't know, maybe it's me because I'm becoming more an old fogey is that the simple fact that they get out of college, they think they know everything and I don't know, it's almost like a, 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 this arrogance that I, I don't know how to chip out of because it's, 
when I get hit with it enough, I just kind of sit back and go, well, I'll just wait. I'll wait till you fail. Yeah. <laughs> this this will be funny. So, uh, so, you know, the traits are you've got to be patient. You've got to be persistent. You've got to be hardworking. You've got to be tenacious. You've got to find a mentor. And when you are, are there, you mentor other people. And you've got to have a backbone. You've got to stand up for yourself. And this man's always telling me to stand up for myself. It's Dion Curry from the Pat Down Podcast and, and a few others. A great episode with him here on the show a while back. Uh, and you... Uh, are always telling me to stick up for myself, but you had a great comment on uh, mentorship because, you know, my mentor is my bully, uh, Dion, uh, on the Pat Down podcast. Uh, but you had a great comment on mentorship, and I was like, hey, come on and tell the story directly. Like, talk about mentorship and stand-up comedy and how important it is. All the growth you've ever seen from a stand-up comedian has come from somebody within the industry helping that person get to where they be, uh, they are. Um, when you first start out stand-up, you have literally no idea what you're doing. <laughs> and there's no books <laughs> on it. Like, there, there's no, like, courses. Even, even if you take classes, even if you uh, read books, when you first get up there, you, all you're doing is hoping that other people think what you're about to say is as funny as you think it is. You don't know the art of eliciting laughter. You don't understand how to get the most out of the material that you're bringing. It isn't until you meet a true professional of the business, someone who's been paid to do this multiple times, that you start to get an idea of what comedy actually is. And it's not just saying things that are funny, because anybody can say something funny, but it's the art form of making strangers laugh with what your truth is that makes you a stand-up comedian. So it doesn't matter what style that you do comedy in. Miss Pat is a blue comic. There are clean comics out there. All these people had someone to lead them down the path that they're on. When I first started, I had literally no idea that people wrote jokes. I thought you said <laughs> it one time, and then that was it. You know, you watch comedy on TV and you never hear those jokes again because they've been recorded and it's out for the world and a joke loses its power the more times you hear it. So when I first started, I thought, oh, I'm just going to say this thing one time and then move on. I went to a uh, comedy contest down in the Ugly Monkey um, and I met Avery Dillinger, who's the manager of the Helium Comedy Club here in Indianapolis. And he goes, you have potential but I can tell you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> and it, it was, it, it took somebody in the business to say to me, you have potential, but you don't know what you're doing. The goal of a mentor is to help the person they're mentoring achieve that next step. It, not only does it help the mentee, but it also reminds the mentor that, Hey, I am on the right track. I do know what I'm doing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a reward for them to have a mentee, but it's also a reward for them to reaffirm that, hey, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing. And it, it becomes a, a, a double bonus in my eyes. Yeah, and it, you also enforce the rules. Like there's a culture that has to be upheld. And you oh, talked about that absolutely. as a mentor. Like how do you know when to say to a younger comic, like, you can't wear shorts on stage. What do you do <laughs> <laughs> Only Gabriel Iglesias is allowed to wear shorts on stage. <laughs> but again, it's not as you, when you first start out, no one tells you the, the unwritten rules, so to speak. 
there's a way to tell a comic he sucks without coming out and saying, hey, you suck. Because, you know, when I first started, I, I went to uh, open mic and I walked in and all those guys that were there were ahead of me in the comedy game. But I thought I was funnier than them. And whether I was or not is irrelevant. There's a, a, a certain way you go about doing things. So I went in super cocky. It was like, this guy's not funny. This guy has no idea what he's doing. That shit's corny, blah, 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 blah. But it wasn't until I realized by meeting a mentor, it was like, hey, there's a certain way that we comics behave toward other comics. Even if we think we're better than them comedically, it is a family. So you have to, you know, navigate that that dynamic in a way that, yeah, you may not be best friends with them, but you have to respect the fact that they're doing the same thing you're doing, even if you don't think they're doing a good job of it. Yeah, Hannah, this is like in the political commentary business in our world, like there are libertarian podcasters I'm not a fan of and I don't agree with, but I keep my mouth shut because there's a code, right? Like I I believe there has to be professional courtesy somewhat, you know, and and I, I want that same respect back. And I think in the political commentary world, we've seen a loss of the upholding of that culture and a lot a loss of willingness to check other people. And a hair trigger. Well, what Dion just described is not him being a dick, but if you're on the other end, maybe you feel like he's being a dick, but he's really trying to help. And I feel like part of the breakdown of our industry is that there isn't that checking. There isn't that conversation. There isn't that mentorship. It's so easy to start your own podcast, your own YouTube channel, that you don't need a mentor. You don't need somebody. But I don't agree with that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think as a whole, I hold that throughout all of my political work. I don't think it is prudent to criticize people in our work. Um, as a whole, I, I try not to do that. There's there's a couple instances where maybe I'll feel compelled to speak out when somebody's saying something that's really crossing the line. But even then, I try to make it more about what they're talking about, less about what they are, who they are. And and I wish that we had more of that because I have been able to get along with a lot of people in the liberty movement because of it. Do I agree with all of them? No, like there are some people that say some things that drive me absolutely bonkers, but it's not prudent for me to criticize them. And I think as a whole, we have to remember that, you know, even though we tend to adhere to very similar values in the libertarian movement, we're not a monolith. We're still individuals. We're the party that upholds individuals and individuality and individual thought. We need to live that out. And I think that when you do that, you then can foster good relationships with people who maybe are not those who are closest in ideology to you. But when you foster those friendly relationships, it then actually opens the door for you to give that kind of mentorship or advice and it be well received. I think relationships are key. Um, we're missing that. And, and I think as a whole, that's something that, you know, once we're in these spaces, that is a way we give back is to try to extend kindness, try to be supportive of people who are trying to advance at least a similar message. And then when there's an opportunity and we've sort of forged those relationships, then give feedback, then um, maybe extend some help when we know that the door's open. All right. Hannah's got to bounce, but promote yourself. Tell us where to listen to your show. Tell us where we can find your writing. So I have a new website I would love for everybody to check out. It's hannahdcox.com. We just launched merch yesterday. I am stoked about this, mostly because the merch I designed was stuff I already wanted for myself. So I'm very excited to buy it. <laughs> um, but I'd love for people to go there. They can get all episodes of Based at my website. They can get all my writing at my website. Um, again, it's hannahdcox.com. And they can connect with me on Twitter at hannahdcox or on Facebook at hannahdaniellecox7. 
Well, thank you for being here. I'm sorry to bother you. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> I had coming. A great time. Thanks, thanks for coming for on, me. and I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Uh, and, all right, let's start wrapping up. But I want to start with uh, Jess is going to end us with end with a story. But I want to go around the horn. How do you know when you need to stand up for yourself? When you need to push back on a mentor, somebody that's being inappropriate. There's, you've got to have some backbone if you're going to build a career in politics, in media, in comedy, in whatever. So I'll go to the biggest dick I know, Dion, not Harry. Uh, <laughs> I almost said it. Harry's like the least dickish person I know. Uh, but Dion, like you're always telling me to stand up for myself. You can be a dick sometimes. Never inappropriately, though. Never because you're in a bad mood, but because you're treating me the wrong way, and I'm going to tell you that. And, and to me, that feels uncomfortable, but I admire that in you, that you push back and say, I know how I'm supposed to be treated. I'm not going to let you walk all over me. Um, where do you find that backbone? How do you develop that skill? I think it boils down to the way that I was raised and how my parents were big about self-respect. Um, at the end of the day, you have to be happy with the decisions that you make and part of the decisions that you make is how you let people interact with you. If I feel like someone is interacting with me in a, a manner that I'm not happy with, then at the end of the day, if I don't tell them that they don't know, um, a lot of people assume that people know things that they actually don't because you go, well, it's upsetting to me. How do they not see that I'm upset? Some people are completely oblivious to that. And it isn't until you bring it to their attention that they're aware that, Oh, I'm hurting you by the way I'm behaving. So when you set boundaries for how you let people interact with you, I think that will uh, raise your confidence to stand up for yourself uh, tenfold. It's all about knowing, hey, this is the way I want to be treated. I don't like when people make me feel a certain type of way based off their behavior. And if they aren't willing to recognize it and change it, then I have to make a decision within myself. To, do I want to continue dealing with this person or not? Then it becomes my fault. If I don't speak up, if I don't say anything, then I become responsible for whatever situation I find myself in. Yeah, I, I Jess, I would I would guess being a female in a predominantly male dominated environment, you've had to push back and stand up for yourself. I mean, how how do you? Oh, yeah, yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, what really comes to mind is somebody that gave me advice. It's a person that does career consulting and coaching as a profession, and they gave me some advice, and it really made me stop and think, like is this advice something I should be taking? Is this advice right for me? This is a person that is well-respected for their business savvy skills. But I thought about it and in my own head, I pushed back and I was like, this is not right for me. But what it did is it validated that I know what's right for myself. And so I think it's awesome when somebody's willing to give you advice and be a mentor, but you have to let that advice, not just take it word for word or follow them blindly, but to really think and evaluate, is this advice going to be what's right for you? And if it, if you think, think about it and it's in the advice that they give is something that you don't want to take, it really solidifies that, you know, your own path, you know, what's best for you. Reinhold, you were in the military. I'm sure you had to learn how to stand up for yourself in that in that rough and tumble culture. Um, I learned how I 
I have a long, long history with standing up for myself and pro or against. Um, <laughs> no, I'm very, so um, I was extremely bullied throughout school, like um, not just the, the minor bullying that most people might experience. It was it was a, it was a very serious thing. So I still have scars from that today that I deal with. Hold on, let me make some uh, jokes about it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm cool with it. I mean, no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, so I'm a much stand up for I've yourself. I'm doing to him what you do yeah, to yeah. me, Dion. Yeah. I, I learned how to do that, how to stand up for myself. It took a while. Like a, um, just an example from two days ago, I was on a, uh, or I'm on a project at work and we're on a conference call and somebody tried to call me out and I'm like, no, that's, that's not right. This is what happened. Here's the, you know, and I had to push back on it. It was somebody who is, um, you know, higher up in the company and everything else. So it, it's, it's something you have to learn to do to stand up for yourself. But um, it, it's not something that I learned too much as a younger person. It took me a while to get to that point. Um, and it was probably post-military, post-everything else before I really got to the point where um, I was that strong of a person to stand up for, for what I believe in and my, my values and thoughts and everything else. So, um it, it took me a while. I realized when I was in my mid twenties that I had a lot of work that I needed to do on myself because I was floundering around. I was doing the wrong things, getting into wrong relationships. It's like that moment where you're just work. so tired of eating shit that you realize I can't eat shit anymore. I have to do something differently. So I took, I took a bunch of years and I just spent every waking moment. And I was working two jobs at the time and trying to go to school, but I was also, trying to focus on me and making sure that, uh, and, and not trying to, uh, you know, I, I avoided relationships for like, uh, almost a decade, um, and focused more on, um, making my mental health right and making my, um, understanding of how I work and what I need and, and what my desires and goals are, um, so that I could at some day succeed. Um, but it, but it took, uh, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of work. So, um, it, it's an important thing to do. It's an important thing to to really learn who you are. As I was saying before, it, it's kind of individual for every person. Um, what's what's holding you back might be not be what's holding somebody else back. You have to really know yourself uh, in this world. And yeah, like I think, like Dion said, you have to define your boundaries and then enforce so them. If you, yeah, if you try to start blaming other people for your situation, that's when you're going to get into trouble. Now. I believe that, especially as libertarians, we should be pointing out that there are problems in our society. There are problems in our institutions that do harm people and make it harder for people to succeed. And we should be fighting to make those better. But at the end of the day, it's always on the individual for where they're at. Right. So, you know, we talk about we talked a little bit about capitalism and socialism and people you know, a lot of younger people going to socialism, a lot of what they're seeing um, and causing them to go socialism is they see the flawed implementation of crony capitalism, not true, you know, free market capitalism that we, we want to have, but it's not what we do have. So they see the inequities that come out of that sort of thing. When you start uh, propping up certain people with, with the way the systems work and, and fighting against that and helping making sure that, Everybody has enough junk to go through in their life. Everybody has enough hurdles to cross and, and, and things that they need to work on to achieve their goals. Let's take all the other bullshit out of the equation 
as best as possible so that everybody can achieve their goals. Right. So it is truly just up to the individual that there aren't other things that are blocking them. Yeah. Like if at the end of the day, government or no government, you got to look out for yourself. You know, you're in charge of you like nobody, you know, I I won't go into it. But anyways, I got a whole long rant, but I want Harry to speak on this. Harry, you're a nice person. Nice people Mm -hmm. get tested more than I think a lot of other people. Like, how, how do you deal with standing up for yourself? Give some advice to the people. Well, um, let's see. My main thing to do is like to get things in writing or just do that. That's the best way for me to get things set up. Just like I take my uh, contract that I have with oil. Right now, Spangle's in violation of Article 8, Subsection 37, where if you're going to bring a black person on the show, I'm supposed (laughs) to get in writing that they're going to be here at least a week in advance. So you're in complete violation. Sorry about that. But crabs yeah. in a barrel, Harry. Crabs in a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a, the the it's the it's that idea of uh, just gotta get things in writing. Like so, I love operational level agreements with, or OLAs with different departments. So like especially in the IT space, because you'll get a lot of different times you get some some manager that will just dislikes you or just expects it to be there with them at all different times. But if you have an operational level agreement that nope. We, passwords reset during this time frame and that you have budget things to budget them i love just putting them that red tape in front of them and just like just frustrate the crap out of them it's a lot of fun for me at least at least in work environments that's that's what i like to do in work environments in the physical space um it's a lot of the times like when someone's like face to face to me i I luck out because i'm like six foot tall 230 pounds of just muscle so usually just standing up and wanting to have an actual face-to-face talk uh, conversation most people kind of like back off at least with me anyways um but it's just more of a just i I will say like learning that being comfortable with the world no and being uncomfortable with silence and just being okay with the that uncomfortable feeling and not having to please them and knowing your boundaries and knowing your work the work-life balance that you want to have that is incredibly important because if you don't have that or have or know what you want out of life people will take advantage for that usually your first two jobs fresh out of school or just in the like real life jobs People take advantage. Like the, if you work at like a grocery store or fast food restaurants, the main reason why you really do hate those jobs is they get to take advantage of you. They know that, you know, you're there uh, because you either want to break in the restaurant industry or you're just looking for a job because in the t- it offers that time frame. So people just take advantage and they're, and there's stinky people out there, but you eventually will find a group of people in a job or a task that they're not going to be that. Some of the best places you've ever been is they're not trying to take advantage of you. You know, this yeah. is the reason why people like going to Chick-fil-A. You know, yeah, not really trying to get advantage of those kids that are working there, and the and the managers there that they get profit sharing, so they make sure everyone's there is happy. It's, yeah, no, I, I agree. Like when I when my job was the only good thing I had going on in my life, like I would I would I had no boundaries because I was I whatever I've got to do to make these people happy, you know. But mm-hmm. then I went through therapy, and now I've got a relationship and a soon-to-be stepdaughter and uh, life that I love and all my work that I do is a lot of fun but mm-hmm. that's most important to me is the family you know and and yeah. so it's like doesn't matter what happens in the rest of that stuff as long as that's okay as long as that's solid you know it's really mm-hmm. important to to kind of have your your life in order but Jess this has been yeah. a great episode I appreciate it uh, you did a wonderful job planning planning this and Hannah was great you were great um, really enjoyed it so why don't we end with some wisdom from Jess Mears? 
Okay. First, I want to say hi to Dion. I love listening to the pat down. When Chris first mentioned it to me uh, a while ago, I was like, okay, like I'll listen to your new endeavor, whatever, like I'll support (laughs) you. And then I absolutely love it. And um, just being a little bit part of Miss Pat's success story has been really fun. So I'm really excited for her. I'm right now listening to her on Joe Rogan. And um, I think it's really cool, Chris, that Miss Pat talked about she is seeing a therapist on the Rogan podcast. So millions of people got to hear a strong woman say, you know, it's okay to seek out therapy and see a therapist and how it's actually helping her um, have better relationships with her colleagues. So that was great. Love we're, we're looking to forward it. to that, Dion. I was going to say, which, yeah. which colleagues? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So I was at the Young Americans for Liberty conference last weekend, and a young woman told me that she didn't know about Young Americans for Liberty or anything else in the Liberty movement because she found out from Hannah Cox that there was more to the Liberty movement than Turning Point USA. Yeah. And so imagine if Hannah didn't, um, you know, wasn't involved in the movement, didn't use social media as a platform to spread the message of liberty. This young woman may have um, never found out that there was this entire, like, better aspect of the liberty movement than turning point usa so for me the wisdom is small victories will to win at no cost is fueled by small victories just like meeting that young woman and then being able to tell that to hannah um that young woman didn't get to meet hannah that i know of last weekend but i got to share that story with hannah and tell her like you are killing it. Keep going. People like this are being influenced just because you are using social media. So um, will to win at no cost, small victories, and encourage each other. Very good. And uh, where can people follow you? Tell us where. Uh, give your shameless self-promotion. On Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> My handle is just for liberty and I have a Clubhouse problem. I use it too much. On Sunday night, we're gonna be talking about democide with Spike Cohen on Clubhouse. You came to the to the Walpool party. You're one of our featured guests. Um, you only mentioned Clubhouse five times, which I thought was very good. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. be sure to follow her. Dion, tell us about your other shows besides the pat down. Uh I do two other podcasts called Now That's Debatable. We do that every Monday night, 9 p.m. live on Facebook. And uh, we'll be uh, starting to do that simulcast on YouTube coming up here in a couple weeks. Um, and my other podcast is uh, Sorry We're Canceled, which you can check out on all podcast outlets and YouTube. That show comes out every Tuesday morning. And uh, where can people follow you? Uh, all my social media is at BrightFame4, the number four. Um, And that's Twitter, Instagram, all the other social medias. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of The Chris Spangle Show. Thank you to Jess and Dion and Hannah Cox and Reinhold and Harry. We appreciate all of you listeners. We appreciate you patrons. And we will see you again next week.